Amen. 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 Man, you got it inside you. It's all on the inside. You know, I was listening to what Becky was saying up here, how she's a solar panel. You know, the sun makes her happy. But the place we live in is a wind turbine, right? Getting, uh, we need to learn how to get our energy from that, I guess. I told my wife if I wanted to live in Wyoming, I would have moved to Wyoming. But that's that's all right. Because I'm standing there, I'm, I'm listening to the songs that are being uh, sung this morning. And I'm thinking about what they tell us almost every night for the past month, two months, three months. And they're extending that on out. Is saying there is a high fire danger with the dry and with the wind. But I believe that the church, I believe that the church, not a church, not the four walls of the church, but the people of the church, you have a high fire danger on the inside of you. One of my favorite scriptures is in, I think it's my favorite, and I think I know where it's at. I, I love to teach from here, and I think it's either First Chronicles or Second Chronicles, somewhere around there. You can go find it. Um, you, I mean, you got two books to look at, but it's in chapter seven where they're where they're dedicating the temple to Solomon, and so they they build this beautiful temple, and then they ask for the presence of God to come in this temple. And when God comes to this temple, his cloud of glory comes down on the temple and fills it. It don't just get on the outside, it's on the inside out. And it was the fire of God that was manifested on the inside of that temple. So much so that the priests or anyone could not even approach the temple because the glory of God was so big, the fire of God was so big, nothing was being consumed. It was just like the burning bush that Moses went to. It was on fire, but it wasn't being consumed. Y'all, this is what I'm trying to tell you. The New Testament says that we are the temple of God. You, as an individual, are the temple, is the temple of God. And God wants to put his glory on the inside of you. It is a high fire danger on the inside of you. If you ain't ready for that, don't accept it. But if you're ready for it, receive it. Receive it. You have a high fire danger on the inside of you. And it don't bring destruction, it brings order. It brings presence. It brings the kingdom of God. And it burns out and keeps out all of the stuff that don't need to be there at that moment. So fire of God, come. Fire, come. Fire, set us on fire, God. Set us on fire. Father, let the, let the dry, tender things that, that, that are just there let them out of the way burn them out of the way so that the fresh new green living things can come thank you father god we receive your fire fire come fire of god come fire of god come thank you burn out the sickness burn out the brokenness stuff that just don't matter and leave your kingdom. Thank you. Thank you. You may stand there and go, you know, that's kind of, that's kind of weird. But back in the early, back in the early 1900s, when revival began to break out in America, Bible began to break out and, and it hit out in California. A place called Azusa Street. I love reading about Azusa Street Revival. Because what would happen is that as they would minister, and it was a 24-7 ministry. I mean, this revival was going on all the time. 
but there were many reports that the building that they were having the revival in would be on fire. And the fire department would show up and see the flames coming out of the building, but when they burst through the doors, there wasn't no fire at all because it was the presence of God. That's what I want. That's what I want. But you know where it starts? It starts in here before it starts in here. So fire of God come. Say that with me. Fire of God come. Say it again. Fire of God come. Fire of God come. In Jesus' name. stuff. Good stuff, huh? Good stuff. Now don't, now, you know, when we, when the music dies down and we turn up the lights and when I get up here and start ministering, don't let the fire go out. Let it go. Let it burn. Let it burn. Let it burn. Amen. Amen. Father, I thank you so much for this day and I thank you for the, these people that you have brought to this place. And I thank you, God, that your fire burns on it on the inside of us. Father, I pray for those that may be their first time here today and they're going, what? I pray that the fire would begin to consume and, and that they would feel, God, that your presence is everything. It's not about a church. It's not about the music. It's not about the preaching. It's about you, Father. It's about you, Father. Your presence. Your honor. And your glory. We receive it today in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We'll give the worship team a hand clap. All right. Turn around, give somebody a high five. Tell them it's good to see them this morning. And you can be seated. All right, man, good stuff today, eh? Amen, amen. Amen. Well, good morning. How are you all doing? Hey, thank you. Man, that's that's all right. That's all right. Um, I want to welcome you to Cowboy Church today if you're here for the very first time. My name is Darren Gleghorn. I'm the lead pastor here at Cowboy Church, but that don't make me the best. That just makes me the one that catches all the stuff. You know, a lot of times we, in in corporations and stuff like that, they look at the leadership chart and they go to the top down. Church is different because it's flipped over. It's the bottom up. I'm I'm just like a catfish on the bottom, you know. I'm, I'm the bottom feeder. And, and you say, well, Pastor, you're just being humble, and I'm not. That's, that's truly the way it is. And if I don't have that reality, I can't lead you well as a pastor. And so I, I don't mind being a catfish. I don't, mind being, I don't mind being a shrimp. I don't mind being the bottom feeders. Because, because that means that God is doing something in your life and raising you up. So, so with that... Um, my wife is in California. She is uh, she's ministering at our one of our side one of our side our only satellite church, um, out in Merced, California, and she's going to be ministering there this morning. And and um, you know by the time we get done, she'll be getting started. And so, uh, anyways, that's uh, she's she's ter- she's tearing it up in California. She had she had all week long in Palm Desert, California. Uh, laying by the pool, soaking up the 109 degree temperature, and uh, and I uh, I've been here in the cool, so it's I don't want to I don't want to go to that kind of heat. I don't know about you. I don't want to go there. Though. Anyways, unless I'm with her, then I'll go. Oh, so anyways, um, it's it's good to see you guys this morning. Last week we started a brand new series called Where Are My Davids. 
And, and the series um, is, is going to run quite a while, um, probably a couple of months. And um, a lot of us are, a lot of us communicators that are on the communication team here are going to be bringing uh, a, a word with uh, this theme in mind. And um, it's going to be good. I, I just get to kick it off the first two weeks, and then we're going to just let the rest of them go and see what God wants to do. So if you're, if you're um, motivated and inspired, continue to show up and see what, uh, see what God wants to do when he begins to say, where are my Davids? Amen. Amen. If your name is David, you got to jump on all of us. So um, with that, this, you know, this series was inspired or birthed out of uh, a night back in October when our prayer team uh, met together. If you've, if you've never been up to visit with our prayer team to have them pray for you, you need to do that. Um, you say, well, I don't really have anything to pray for. Just come up and say hi to them and they'll find something to pray for you. And, and so anyways, they were in a, in a team meeting and, and they begin to pray and, and um, they begin to hear God's spirit begin to cry out and say, where are my Davids? Where are my Davids? And so when I heard this, they, they give me a a download a lot of times of what happens at the prayer meeting, especially when an encounter like that happens. And so as I began to read their emails and, and um, review the things that they were hearing and seeing, I, I wanted to see something come around with that same theme of where are my Davids. And so my heart for this series is that, um, that we would look at the life of David in the Old Testament um, you know, David and Goliath guy, you know, he's the, he's the main dude that killed the giant when he was just a kid. And um, it, it wasn't a lucky thing. It was a God thing for him. And David, David's name is mentioned more times in the Bible than anyone but Jesus. And so he's an important character in the Bible. And I believe what God is wanting us to do is um, let his life inspire us as he was a worshiper, as he was a warrior, and as he was a king. <clears throat> but what we're doing in this series, this is not a man message series. You, you know what I mean by that? This is not for men only. Okay, I'm, I'm calling out the Davids, and we a lot of times go, well, the men need to step up. This ain't about the men stepping up only. This is about men and women. This is not a gender thing. When I look at the life of David and the character that he had on the inside of him, it was not a gender thing. Now, listen to me. This is not a woke message. This is not a cancel David message cancel his gender or whatever. This is not, this is not one of those kinds of messages. This, this message is about the character of David because the character of David can go in Divina. <laughs> you, know, uh, you know what I'm saying? Uh, men and women, that's what I'm trying to say. That's what I'm trying to say. It's not a man message. And, and what made David great was not because he was a male. What made him great was because of his character. And, you know, he made mistakes just like all of us, but, but his character is what is emphasized. His character, uh, when we begin to look at David and, and the things that he did and the places he went and the, the things he overcame, what we begin to see is that it was inside, deep on the inside of him. And, and, and so that's, um, that's what I love about David. And some of those things or most of those things are hidden. We have to go in there and try to dig those things out in order to bring them to you to where it doesn't turn into just a man message. It turns into an everyone message. And so, um, you know, Samuel said it best, or God said to Samuel uh, best, and we read this last week in 1 Samuel 16, 7, and, and he says, for man looks at the outward appearance, but the Lord, that God looks at our heart. So he's, he's not looking at our gender. He's looking at our heart. He's looking at the character. Amen? Amen. Amen. 
So David's character is magnified whether you're a man or a woman. His character is in his DNA, not only physically, but uh, spiritually as well. And so that's kind of what we talked about last week is having that when we have the access to David's DNA, that's where the character comes from. And it's male or female. And so when we, we ask that question, where are my Davids? What we concluded to kick this off last week is that it is the pursuers of Jesus. It's the pursuers. You say, well, I'm a Christian. I'm a follower of Jesus. That's great. Be a follower of Jesus. But there comes a time in our Christianity that we change the pace of how we're following and we're no longer just following him, but now we pursue him. Because I promise you, when you start pursuing Jesus, he's going to start giving you something to pursue after. And it's not just being a follower. It's being a pursuer. Man, I like that. So if you have your Bibles with you this morning, we're going to jump into this. First Samuel, First Samuel chapter 18. First Samuel chapter 18 is where we're going to go today. And, and I may start talking really fast because I have um, an extensive story to get to the point that I want to get to today. Okay? You say, well, you do that every week. Well, then it's no different. But I have, a, I have a pretty extensive story to get to the point that I want to make. And that point today is loyalty. We're going to talk about loyalty. And so I'm an Okie, so sometimes I say loyalty, and sometimes I say loyalty. Did you get it? All right. So we're going to talk about loyalty today. Uh, here in 1 Samuel chapter 18, David had just killed Goliath. He's probably 15 to 17 years old. He's just killed this mighty warrior from the other side that was, um, that was terrorizing the armies of Israel. And David came out there with a slingshot, whooped him, cut his head off. Like I said last week, showed him how to get ahead in life. And um, so he comes to... King Saul, after things are over, and the Bible is saying that he's walking around with Goliath's head in his hands, you know, like a kid hanging pictures or posters on the wall or stickers on something. David was carrying this head around, probably put it on his refrigerator when he went home. But David's carrying this head around, talking to King Saul, and, you know, blood's dripping everywhere, and he's just talking to King Saul, and King Saul's son, Jonathan, is standing there, hadn't met David yet. Jonathan was a mighty warrior himself, but he didn't have a head in his hand. And so he's standing there, and I guess what the military would call debriefing, that almost sounds like a middle school um, gym class type of deal, you know? Anyways, I, I don't like that word, but that's, that's what they're just downloading what went on in battle. And so this is where Jonathan, Saul's son, meets David for the very first time. And when they met, there was something that went off on the inside of, of Jonathan. He knew and he felt that there was a kindred spirit with David. He's like, this, this guy's going to be my best friend. So let's move into this cha chapter here, 1 Samuel chapter 18. I'm going to start in verse 1. And it says this, Now when he, David, had finished speaking to Saul, the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David, and Jonathan loved him as his very own soul. Skip over to verse 3. It says, Then Jonathan and David made a covenant because he loved him. Jonathan loved him as his own soul. And Jonathan took off the robe that was on him and gave it to David with his armor, even to his sword and his bow and his belt. So Jonathan makes this covenant. What is, what is a covenant? That's a big word in the Bible. Very simply, the word covenant means a binding formal agreement between two parties. Now, it wasn't like Jonathan brought out this piece of paper and gave him a, you know, a contract of, this is, this is my life. No, he had it on the inside of him. 
to the point to where Jonathan, who is the successor to the seat of his dad, the king, King Saul, he had everything royal. Everything was royal to him. And he gives David his royal robe. He gives him his sword. He gives him his armor. He gives him all of this stuff and says, this is my most important identity of who I am. I am giving to you. And so this this agreement happened. This friendship, this love happened between Jonathan and David. It It was the deepest level of friendship that two humans can ever have. It's exactly like when we get married. When we get married, that's the closest thing to a biblical covenant that, we, that really explains and um, exemplifies our life. Because it's a contract that says our, our souls are one. We're one together. Amen? And when there is a covenant, a friendship type of covenant or any kind of covenant that is made... Death is the only release from that covenant. Death is the only release. Uh, You know, that's why the the preacher that marries us says, till death do you part. Because it's a covenant and it can't be broken until, or it can't be released until there's death that happens. However, in those days, breaking a covenant brought about capital punishment. It, it, capital punishment, the, the, the legal authorization to kill. So if back in those days, if you broke a covenant that you made, you die. Uh, getting really quiet in this Presbyterian church this morning. See, this is, this is what I believe is that if our current culture, um, in our current culture, if, if, we, we really don't grasp the gravity of what covenant is. Because if we really did grasp the gravity of what covenant is, the divorce rate would be a lot, lot lower. So, moving on. Um, the soul, it says the soul of Jonathan was knit to the soul of David. I like that word knit because that word knit there means a meshing together. A a meshing together. It was tightly woven together. And, you know, when we we hear what uh, Jesus said about marriage, he says that what God has joined together, what God has knit together in marriage, says, let no man... King James Version says, let no man put asunder, asunder, A-S-U-N-D-E-R. No man put asunder. That word asunder means a violent tearing. The only way, the only thing that divorce brings, and if you've been through a divorce, you know this, it is a tearing apart and it is violent and it is painful. It's not easy because it's a covenant. It's a, it's, it's a knitting together. And when I was looking at uh, studying this out, there's a commentary that I usually use uh, by a guy in the early 1900s. His name was Adam Clark, His, Adam Clark's commentary. Adam Clark said this about Jonathan and David uh, or about their relationship. It says that their friendship, it was a friendship that produced an entire sameness. It is one soul in two bodies. A friend is another self. A friend is, I love that, a friend is another self. That's, you know, I, I married up when I married. Man, I, I like her oneness. She got the raw end of the deal. And, and so that's what I usually think. I'm trying to stop that thinking because I'm better than that. I'm enough. Help me in my counsel right now. I am enough. Yeah. The thing about it is, is it's, it's that one flesh. It's that one soul together in sameness. I love that. 
And what Jonathan did is he gave him his royal robe. He gave him his armor, his sword, his bow, his belt. All these things were the element of his identity as not only as the, um, just a man, a mighty warrior, but he was also the successor to the, to the chair, to the kingship of the country. David, when he was um, 13 to 15 years old, he was anointed to be king, but nobody knew that except him and God. And then when he had a covenant with, with uh, Jonathan, Jonathan gave him the articles of kingship. And nobody saw this coming. It was just good gesture. But it was what brought David to be the king that he began to be. Over the next 10 years or so, probably more than 10 years, um, Jonathan's loyalty would prove itself many times over. Because Jonathan's dad, Saul, did not like David. He was jealous of David. And he began to try to kill him. And it was Jonathan that stepped in and helped David escape Saul's hand on, on... on so many different, so many different times. And so he, I I feel for Jonathan because he was torn between his love for his father and king and his best friend who he had given a covenant to. Because to Jonathan, covenant beats out love for the, uh, a natural love for the father. You say, man, that don't sound right. It is just meditate in it, okay? I don't have time to explain all of it. And I probably don't even know myself the, 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 the weight of that. But Saul had tried to kill David, and, and Jonathan was torn between that. And really, loyalty, the loyalty was uh, exemplified to David through what Jonathan did. Because we see nowhere during this time that, uh, that David saved Jonathan's butt. You know, so at the end of First Samuel, the last chapter of First Samuel, you see a mighty battle that happens. David is still David's a warrior, but he's not a king yet. Saul is still the king. Jonathan is still the successor. And here at the end of of First Samuel chapter in First Samuel chapter thirty-one, you see them go out to battle again with the Philistines. They had an ongoing run and gun battle with with the Philistines. And this particular battle killed all of King Saul's sons. Killed them all. Jonathan was included in that. Jonathan got killed in this battle. And, and King Saul was mortally wounded during this battle. And he ended up taking his own life. So on that battlefield, not only did King Saul die, but Jonathan died. David's best friend. When you look back at this time, uh, this, this time frame that all this happened, the tradition back then is that um, the way kingship changed families was that the king and the king-to-be had to die. Are you, are you hearing me? The king and the king-to-be had to die. Once they b- both died before the king-to-be became a king, <clears throat> if they both died, then that opened it up to, to other families to come in. Otherwise, the kingship just ran on a hereditary basis. And so here Jonathan and Saul died in this, in this, um, this battle. And upon the, um, the, the tradition was that's how kingship um, switched families. Then whenever the new king, a different family would step in, to that kingship and that authority, he would have the rest of the males in that other family that was before. Did it make sense to you? He would have them executed, all the males, because he didn't want entitlement resistance happening. Entitlement resistance would say that they're going to rebel against the new incoming king. So they would go and kill all the males um, uh, that were that belonged to that family. So upon the news that, that David heard of Saul and Jonathan dying, it immediately launched David. The country wanted David to be king, so it launched him into kingship. He was 30 years old when he took over. 
and so if you would go over to Second Samuel, if you have your Bibles, Second Samuel chapter nine. So we're gonna David takes over king the, the kingdom. He's now the king, thirty years old. Let's fast forward another fifteen or twenty years. So he's you know forty five to fifty years old. He is a very successful king. Things are happening. And David, but David's covenant with Jonathan years and years ago is still uh, very real to him. I don't know if it was just because of, of, you know, because death releases covenant, but he didn't feel released from that. And maybe it was because Jonathan had saved his life so many times that he felt like, hey, I'm, I'm going to, I still feel this covenant. I still feel this oneness. I'm missing a piece of my heart, but that missing that piece of the heart is what reminds me and keeps that covenant that I had with him real. And so um, here, let's, let's start this out in first, uh, second Samuel chapter nine. Let's start this out in verse one. If I can find it, there it is. It says, now David said, is there still anyone who is left of the house of Saul that I may show him kindness for Jonathan's sake. He's saying, look, he's been, he's been dead for 20 years. King Saul's been dead for 20 years. All of the family was executed or killed in battle. And I, I just have this burden of the covenant that I had with Jonathan. He saved me so many times. Is there someone that I can show kindness to in his family? He says, is there anyone I can show kindness? I love the word kindness because it's the, the, the Hebrew word kesed, which means literally covenant faithfulness. So the covenant faithfulness that he had with Jonathan, he still is wearing that. He says, let me, I want to show that covenant kindness to somebody else the same way Jonathan did for me. And so he called one of King Saul's former servants. His name was Ziba. And if you skip down to verse 3, it says, then the king said, this David, so the king said, is there not still someone of the house of Saul to whom I may show the kindness of God? And Ziba said to the king, there is still a son of Jonathan who is lame in his feet. David didn't know that there was Jonathan's son. It was Jonathan's boy. He didn't know he was still alive. And so he's, he's asking for him to come. And he says he was lame in his feet, so he was crippled. How did he get crippled? Listen to this. You can hold your place there, but if you want to look at it, you can. We're going to put it up on the screen. Second Samuel chapter 4, verse 4. It says this. Jonathan, Saul's son, had a son who was lame in his feet. He was five years old when the news about Saul and Jonathan came from Jezreel. And his nurse took him up and fled. And it happened as she made haste to flee that he fell and became lame. His name was Mephibosheth. So Jonathan still has a son. He's crippled. And he got crippled because the nurse was afraid that the army of David would show up and kill Mephibosheth. So she ran to hide. She went into a panic and crippled the kid at five years old, and she took him and hit him. Now, 20, 15, 20 years later, go back to 2 Samuel verse, uh, chapter 9, verse 4. It says, So the king said to him, Where is he? And Ziba said to the king, Indeed, he is in the house of Machir, the son of Amiel in Lodabar. And then King David sent and brought him out of the house of Machir, the son of Amiel, from Lodabar. Lodabar. He was hidden in a place called Lodabar. Now, I don't know about you, but in, in, in my time before I started following Jesus, I had been in Debar. <laughs> I even went to one bar that had the pool tables upstairs, so I'd been above the bar. But I had never, ever been loaded bar. <laughs> He's in loaded bar. 
I mean, he's in a bad place, man. I mean, he can hear everybody dancing and drinking upstairs. And I don't know. That just struck me funny. Let's go on. Um, verse 6 goes on. It says, Now when Mephibosheth, the son of Jonathan, the son of Saul, had come to David, he fell on his face and prostrated himself. Then David said, Mephibosheth? And he answered, Here is your servant. So David said to him, Do not fear, for I will surely show you the kindness for Jonathan your father's sake and will restore you all the land of Saul your grandfather. And you shall eat bread at my table continually. It goes on in verse 8 and it says, Then he, Mephibosheth, say that real fast three times, right? He bowed himself and said, what is your servant that I should look upon such, that you should look upon such a, do- a dead dog as I? This phrase tells me what happens to a person when you live in Lodabar. He, he had the self-image. He's probably in his um, late teens, early 20s when he says this. And, and his self-image is that he's just a dead dog. He's not even a live dog. He's a dead dog in front. I mean, he's been told this all his life. You, if, if David finds out or if any of his army finds out, you're a dead man. And you're living in Lodabar. You're a dead dog man. You ain't nothing but a dead dog. And so he, this is the, his self-expression. This is his self-image that he has on the inside that he's standing in front of the king and says, why would you do this for a dead dog like me? I was looking at these words that, that it says that he was living in the house of Makir. And the word Makir in the Hebrew means sold. So he's probably living in a rent house. He's trying to pay rent or maybe he's a squatter. I don't know what he is. But he's there and, and the, his life is not great. The word Lodabar means this, and I found this funny, not a pasture. Okay, it's not a pasture. What is it? Well, to that day and time, um, people made their living by raising sheep and goats and things like that, so they had to have pasture. He was living in a wilderness place and a slum. He had no value. He saw no value. He saw no benefit. Not, you know, not having a pasture there is no value, no benefit, no nourishment. And he's crippled and he has no work. So man, his life is tough. Skip on down to verse 13. It says this. This is ending out this chapter. It says, So Mephibosheth dwelt in Jerusalem, for he ate continually at the king's table, and he was lame in both of his feet. David made the palace accessible. He made it accessible. Because it doesn't matter what the physicality is. It doesn't matter about all that. What matters is the covenant that he made with Mephibosheth's dad. And this is how he can repay him. No fear that sitting at the king's table that Mephibosheth was going to turn on him like his granddad did. See, David's loyalty... The, the loyalty he had with Jonathan carried a lot of weight for him. And the only way that it was proven is by kindness. He said, can I show, is there anyone I can show kindness to? That kindness is the same word as um, covenant faithfulness. Covenant faithfulness. It's loyalty. Covenant faithfulness is loyalty. I know that I say it all the time. I know you say it. There's, there's probably, I was looking this up, and there, in someone's life, in anyone's life, they're probably only going to have a total 
of five best friends in their life. And that five best friend deal, there is something that we have on the inside of us that means that we are loyal to our friends. We have to be for them to be best friends. We have to be for our marriages to be successful. What that tells me is that there's, there will come a time in your relationship with anyone that can be tested to the point of disloyalty. But we have to choose loyalty. We have to let that be a part of our life that comes out and is showing kindness to our friend. Amen? Amen. Growing up, my life growing up, I don't ever remember being taught anything about loyalty. I was kind of like Mephibosheth, you know, growing up. I didn't hear anything about loyalty. I heard good stories and, you know, my dad taught me how to work on cars, um, things like that. You know, my dad taught me a, a lot of, he taught me how to cuss. And that's usually when I was holding the flashlight, working on cars, right? But I was never taught about loyalty. My dad was a busy man. He was building a business all my life and he was, he was busy and he spent a lot of time with my brother. My brother was working at the shop with him, body shop, paint and body shop. But I didn't. I didn't spend a whole lot of time with, with my dad in that sense. But I believe that my dad expected loyalty. I, I, I think that he demanded loyalty. But he never taught me loyalty. And it wasn't until um, well, in that, because he didn't teach me uh, loyalty or, or I didn't learn loyalty through people in my, in my life, people in my family, because I didn't do that, um, it, it caused a lot of relationship mix, mistakes for me <clears throat> growing up. Um, is it all right if I just kind of get real with you? Did somebody say no? No. Uh, because one person saying, no, I, I can get out of this really quick. <laughs> You're giving me a door to step through. That. I ain't going to talk about that. But, but, but here's the deal. Um, I, I was engaged to a girl right after college. And my kids didn't even hear this till a couple of years ago. And Brett looked at me and what? <laughs> Anyways, um, I was engaged to a girl just right after college. I was not living for God at the time. But um, disloyalty and unfaithfulness killed that relationship because I didn't know how to, I didn't know how to be loyal. And, you know, even though we weren't married, there was a promise there. And, and you know, really looking back on it, I can say I'm thankful that it didn't happen. But I hate the way that it caused it not to happen because it reflected upon me and my character. And so <clears throat> growing up, a lack of loyalty, I lost friendships. I lost relationships. I, I lost girlfriends. I lost potential friends because of the fact that I did not know how to extract loyalty in my life and bring it out and show loyalty to people. And it, it, it wasn't until that I began to pursue God that I began to, bas- uh, to grasp the value of loyalty. And the person that I heard it from first was my pastor. There was such um, devastation that I caused in my own character to people outside of me that got me really hungry for God. I, I wanted to be hungry for God, so I became a Christian, truly became a Christian. I was saved when I was five, but I rededicated my life and really started seeking Jesus when I was 20, almost 24 years old. And so um, my pastor was the first one I heard talk about loyalty. The, the word loyalty to him, well, I remember him preaching and, and he's talking about his staff, the people that he's got hired at the church and even the the leadership, even volunteers of the leadership, he said, there will be three things in this church that will get you fired. Three things. He said, dishonor, 
discord and disloyalty. See, that'll get you fired. That'll get you moved on. And I started learning how to extract that loyalty that's on the inside of me because we all have it. We all, when, you, when you become a believer in Jesus, not only do you receive his spiritual DNA in who you are, but you, you receive the character that's on the inside of you. Now, being a pursuer of Jesus is where you start learning to extract that and develop that character. Make sense? Say yes. Okay, good. Helps me out when you say yes. <clears throat> and then I heard my spiritual father when I um, was honored enough to have a spiritual father. My spiritual father, Glenn Smith, he drove on the inside of us, he drove integrity and honor and loyalty into all of his spiritual sons. I mean, he talked about it. He would he would straighten you out if you was not being integrative or honorable or loyal. And so he began to birth some of those things on the inside of me. <clears throat> Even though the Bible says very little specifically, I mean, you can't go to your um, uh, concordance in the back or your index in the back and find loyalty. It's not spoken of in that term a whole lot, I think two or three times. But it all comes back to the, the word that David said to um, Ziba about finding Mephibosheth. He says, let me show kindness. Let me show covenant loyalty and faithfulness to someone in Jonathan's house. So this, I, but the, you know, it's not in there specifically, but the idea and the concept are threaded through the whole Bible of loyalty. Now, I'm going to change gears here for just a minute. We're still talking about loyalty. In ancient times, in, in, in the olden days is what we used to call it, in ancient times, there was no refrigeration. Back in Jesus' day, there was, there was no refrigeration. You didn't have anything to put, you know, put your um, you know, ribs or meat or anything in. So what they would do is they would sprinkle it with salt to maintain it from rotting, from rotting out, right? So they would sprinkle it with salt. They would cover it in salt because salt was a, was a preservative. And back then, the demand for salt was very high because it was, in high, it was high demand, but it was very scarce to find. So salt became very valuable to the times back then. Um, many times the soldiers of, like the Roman soldiers, soldiers of any, anybody during that time, soldiers were often paid with salt. They gave them salt or they gave them a salary or an allowance to get salt. And, and so uh, those soldiers, because they were committed and faithful to the kingship, they were committed and faithful, they were loyal. Therefore, the common phrase that came about was that they're loyal so they are worth their salt. You ever heard that before? Man, that guy's worth his salt. That's what that means. It was when the payment, payment for salt was loyalty. If a person was labeled incompetent or faithless or uncommitted or disloyal, that person was known as they weren't worth their salt. They still got paid, but they ain't worth it because they're disloyal. <clears throat> Jesus dealt with disloyal people. In John 6, 66, I remember that because it's 666. In John 6, 66, it says that during that time, many disciples turned their backs on Jesus and they deserted him. He knew disloyalty, didn't he? The main character of disloyalty in the Bible for Jesus is who? Judas. Judas was disloyal. And, and so I, this came about um, in, in 1498. A man named Leonardo da Vinci, you know who he is? Da Vinci painted a famous paint, painting called The Last Supper. If we could, could we put that up there? I mean, you all have seen it. This is da Vinci's painting of 
the Last Supper. But if you look really close, Judas stands out in this picture. Judas is the one in blue that's got clinching the bag of money and he has knocked over the salt. He's the disloyal one. He ain't worth the salt. He sold Jesus out. He broke the covenant that he had with Jesus. His disloyalty wasn't worth his salt. It's pretty cool, isn't it? All the while, Jesus remains loyal. I've been in a place where people have walked out on me. Uh, being a pastor for 22 years, I've, I've seen a lot of it, had a lot of it go on. And there's times that I felt that people who have left this church in a, in a not a good way, it just paints a disloyal picture for me. I would much rather see them go in their disloyalty than stay here and be disloyal. You know? <clears throat> but that does something to a man or a woman. That does something to us when people are disloyal to us. It, it cuts our heart, don't it? It cuts us to the core. Even when they're not best friends, just when they're good acquaintances and, they, and they're disloyal, it cuts us, it hurts us. And I've wanted to give up sometimes. I thought, man, if this is the way church is, I'm going to go hand out smiley faces at Walmart. You know? <laughs> I can change oil at Jiffy Lube pretty easy. But Jesus suffered big disloyalty. And it didn't change his loyalty for us, even when we've been disloyal to him. Because just like Jonathan, when we come into relationship with Jesus, we come into relationship with him through a covenant. A covenant that's not written in ink, it's written in blood. And when we become Christ followers, when we become children of God, Christians, when we become Christians, Jesus gives us something because there's really nothing that I can do for him because just like David and Jonathan, there's nothing that I can do for him because he's done it all for me. He's done it all for you. And when you become a Christian, he gives you his identity. The Bible says in the New Testament, it says he gives you the robe of righteousness. Just like Jonathan. He gives you the, his armor. Ephesians chapter 6 says he gives you his armor. He gives you the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God. And he gives you the belt of truth. In this day and time, many people are saying that, that, that they, uh, the truth is not absolute. And they're, they're saying that in an absolute statement. That's dumb. That's the idiot gone to seed right there. Because there is truth. And Jesus has given us his belt of truth. Amen? Amen. So... In talking about loyalty, um, <clears throat> in, in the Bible, like I said, it's not mentioned a whole lot, but I found a scripture where it is referenced, where loyalty is referenced in the, in the uh, uh, center column, reference column in your Bible. But it's mainly found in the New American Standard Bible, which we don't use very much. It's a really good, uh, really good translation. It'll remind you very much of the New King James But this is what it says in Micah chapter 6, verse 8 from the New American Standard Bible. It says, He, God, has told you, O man, that's you, human being, O man, what uh, God has told you what is good. And what does the Lord require of you but, one, to do justice, two, to love kindness, and three, to walk humbly with your God. He says, this is what we have been designed and given to do as being Christ followers. He said, you got to do justice. And then he says this, you have to love kindness. 
You have to love kindness. It's the same word that David used for loyalty. It is covenant faithfulness. We have to love covenant faithfulness. You, you love it when someone else shows you that. But we need to learn how to love it when we express that. To love kindness, to love loyalty. Jonathan did it to the degree of where he saved David's hide from his own father. All the while honoring his father, but not allowing his covenant friend to be killed. Jonathan loved loyalty. And David learned from Jonathan's love for loyalty how to love loyalty and give of himself to show that same kindness. Amen? Amen. Man, that's good stuff. It's good preaching, Pastor. Here's what I see, and this is where I'm going to close, is, is loyalty is a forgotten factor in the church. Because we can, you know, there are so many churches today that we can walk into one and walk out. We can walk in and we can walk out. But there's something about it when you walk in and you're loyal. Well, that pastor don't preach what I want him to preach. I don't matter. Be loyal. I'm sorry. Loyal. Be loyal. It's a forgotten factor in the church. And, and this is the place where, da- where, where God is crying out. Where are my Davids? Where are my Davids? Where are the people that have a covenant on the inside? Where are my Davids that love each other? Where are my Davids that are loyal to each other? Where are my Davids that are loyal to, uh, to, to church leadership? Where are my Davids who are loyal to even people we don't agree with? Our present president. One thing I did learn from my dad is that whether you agree with him or not, honor him. One thing I learned from Jesus is when they're messed up, even when they're messed up, pray for them. If you don't like them, pray for them. But we're Christians and we have to love kindness. We have to love loyalty. When you love loyalty, God will make concessions and pathways that you've never walked before. Because that's where Jesus is going. Jesus didn't hate on Pilate. Jesus didn't hate on King Herod. Jesus didn't hate on the Caesar in Rome. He didn't hate any of them. He was loyal. But he didn't let their stuff override his loyalty to people. Amen? Because... Because he would die on a cross for each and every one of us. And he did. And he did. So if we're saying that we're Christians, it's time for loyalty. So here's, here's where I want to land this plane today. I hope you got something from that. I hope you really saw something from that. <clears throat> a part, a part of loving loyalty is forgiveness. This is one of the toughest things that, that we do as people. It's, it's hard to forgive sometimes, especially those who have broken our heart, those who have been disloyal to us. What I did when I discovered loyalty and discovered how important that was I ruined a lot of friendships back then because I didn't know, for one, how to be loyal. But when I became a Christian, I called all the people that I could think of that I hurt through my disloyalty. I called them. I called them on the phone. Uh, the, the girl that I was engaged to, I called her on the phone. It's been years since I talked to her. And I said, hey, I need to, 
I need to say something. I've just recently started following Jesus. She's like, oh, dear God. <laughs> and I said, I hurt you. And I, I was disloyal to you. I was dishonest. I was disrespectful, dishonorable. And I'm asking, would you please forgive me? And she was Darren, I don't think I can. I said, that's fine for now. But I'm asking you to forgive me because I know that the power of forgiveness, when you forgive, when, when I forgive, when we forgive, that it releases us from hurt and pain. I said, if you can't, that's on you. But I'm asking for your forgiveness and I'm sorry. I don't want to marry you. Now, I'm not trying to get in back good with you. I'm just asking you to forgive me. And I did that. I made several phone calls through that period of time. And most everyone forgave me verbally, which is good for them. But also, sometimes when we've been hurt, we have to forgive others. And so this is what I want you to do. I can't teach on forgiveness now. I've got a minute and a half to get done. But forgiveness, let me just say this real simply. Forgiveness will release freedom to your hurts and your pains. Those hurts and pains that somebody has chained you up with, honestly, you have chained yourself up with when you don't forgive. So if you would, would you indulge me by this? Would you stand on your feet? This helps me know that I got to close. But here's the deal. <clears throat> when we get into moments like this, we want to get really religious and all that kind of stuff. So here's what I want you to do. Every head up, every eye open, everyone looking around. I mean, you don't, you don't have to look at somebody else, but just keep your eyes open. We're not going to get real churchy on you. But here's the thing. If you have done something to someone, and you need to ask them for forgiveness. I want you to make a decision right now. Eyes open, head up. I want you to pray this prayer after me, okay? Pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, in Jesus' name, I come to you today knowing that I have hurt people. I have been disloyal. And today, I want to recover my loyalty in your eyes, Father, through your Son, Jesus. Today, I ask forgiveness from you, and I forgive myself. And in the Spirit, I ask for people that I've hurt to forgive me. In Jesus' name, amen. So if you want to call them, you can. If you don't want to call them, if they're not here anymore, you don't have their number anymore, don't worry about that. But you have asked forgiveness from God and forgiven yourself. Now I want you to pray this prayer of receiving forgiveness. All right? Heavenly Father, I come to you in Jesus' name. And today, I ask you to heal my heart, Father. I forgive those who have hurt me. Hold on just a second before we go any further. If you know who that is, you can say their name under under your breath. It's hurt you. Okay? Now, Heavenly Father, I forgive them. I release them. And they are... I'm trying to find the word. Don't, Don't repeat that. They are free from my life. In Jesus' name. Now, have, did you all think of someone? Yeah. Let them go. I mean, I, I'm not even, I, I don't even like Disney movies, and I just want to go, let it go. Let it go. <clears throat> let it go. Let it go. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Now, maybe I'd ask forgiveness for that, <laughs> for singing it. Anyways, with that, if you've never become a Christian, you've never given your life to Jesus Christ, now is the perfect time to do it. Because when Jesus 
when Jesus rolled up on the guy that he wanted to follow them, when he rolled up on them, he said, would you come and follow me? And that person would lay down everything and follow him. They didn't know what that path meant. They didn't know what it was going to turn out to be, but yet they followed him. I'm asking you today, if, you, if, if you're one of those people that want to figure everything out before you commit, Christianity is not for you. But I'm telling you, Jesus died on the cross for you anyway, so it is for you. So all you got to do is say yes. Yes to him. When you say yes, or you rededicate with a yes, that means that you are now a follower. Now you have the opportunity to be a pursuer of Jesus. Because when you're a pursuer of Jesus, God can ask, where are my Davids? You can say, here I am. Here I am. Amen? Amen. Let me pray over you. Father, I thank you so much for each and every person that's in this room. I thank you for those that are watching online. I pray that today would be a, a, um, an earmarked day. That God, they can look back at May 15th, 2022 and say, that's where I released everything. That's where I forgave. And that's where loyalty began, began to come alive in my life. And I thank you, Jesus, that you are the most loyal. And you love me even when I'm disloyal to other people. Father, you've given me a path through Jesus Christ to be a loyal person. Thank you for your son, David. Thank you for your son, Jesus, for showing us loyalty. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Well, you can have a seat for a minute.